Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we do give you thanks for your word, for apart from it, we would not know you. We would not understand ourselves, and we would not know the way to be saved. So we thank you for your word to us. We pray that as we come now to hear it, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would make our hearts, uh, Lord, soft to your words, tender, that we might not just hear, but there might actually be change, change that is demonstrated in how we act and live. Lord, we do not want to be hearers only. We want to be doers, but we confess, Lord, it's so much easier to simply listen and then go our own way and do our own thing and and seek what makes us happy. Lord, would you not let that be today? Would you cause us to both hear and do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I won't tell you how long we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. You can go back, unless you've kept notes. You know, it's been a minute since we started, but I think it's been worthwhile. It certainly has for me. Uh, but, you know, we've had a couple weeks uh, of a break in between the, the previous uh, uh, passage and this one. And I had that one marked as part one, and this is part two, and it just worked out this way that we'd have this break. So I want to remind you of what we began to see in those previous verses, that Jesus is now coming to the conclusion, coming to the close of what he is saying. On this occasion, everything is addressed about the kingdom of heaven, what it is, uh, what it's about, uh, in, in a sense, how one may enter in and who, who may not enter in or who won't enter in. And now as he closes the sermon, he gets to the application. That's what we began to see in the previous verses. In that, in, in those verses, we saw that there are only two ways in which to walk, two paths, two gates that lead to each of the two paths, two final destinations that await all mankind. Only one of two places where we'll enter up. We also saw that there are only two kinds of fruit borne by each of two kinds of teacher. There is good fruit of righteousness, and there is bad fruit that leads to destruction. And so in today's passage, Jesus brings the application, he kind of sinks it down. It's a little bit tighter, a little bit narrow. He's now addressing those who would hear him, and he speaks to everyone, not just to teachers now. He's speaking to everyone. He says that in verse 21 and verse 24. There he says, everyone who hears my words. So all of us now 
ought to come to terms with the claims of Christ. What he is saying, what he has been saying, what he is saying here, searching our hearts and our lives to test and see if we are merely hearers of the words of Jesus or if we are doers also. It's an opportunity for each of us to consider our own faith, not necessarily to doubt our faith, but to assess our faith. Yet it's also important for anyone here who has never taken hold of Christ by faith to consider his claims today, to hear the call of salvation. See, Jesus says there's a day coming when he will say to some, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I hope that each of us feels the weight of that statement, the weight of the judgment that awaits us. Have we heard and believed? Or have we simply heard and carried on with our lives in unbelief? Have we responded in faith? Or have we simply heard and followed our own path, going on our own way? I'll be the first to acknowledge that every time I read or hear these verses, particularly this verse where Jesus says, there's a day coming when I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That it, every time, it catches me. Uh, it's a sobering statement. And I think it should be. I found myself this week asking, am I a fraud? Have I really taken hold of Christ? Have I simply kind of followed this manufactured religion of man? Do I know Christ? I don't want to unnecessarily stir doubt in anyone's heart. But I do think that we ought to be serious as we consider what Jesus says here. And my prayer is not that it would weaken our faith, but this would actually bolster our faith, that it would strengthen it so that we would know, yes, Christ has taken a hold of me and I am his and he is mine. So may we come to that end today. Look now in verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The emphasis is on hearing and doing as opposed to hearing and saying. Or we could plug in almost anything there, hearing and doing nothing, <laughs> uh, hearing and, uh, you know, being a hypocrite. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the, the contrast is what we should be doing is hearing and doing, that is believing and obeying as opposed to hearing and doing anything else. This isn't to suggest that we don't confess our faith, that we don't say. We know that from Romans 10, that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And by this, we know that we are saved. But what Jesus is dealing with here is the idea of giving lip service. To simply say, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I belong to this church. The confession that he uses here, Lord, Lord, sounds very simple. It is very simple. It's, I think it's simple by design. But we may miss something about it because the word Lord was used uh, in this time as a way of address, like we would use the word sir to address someone. But the double use of the word Lord indicates something deeper, something more intimate, something closer. I didn't discover this on my own. Uh, Sproul pointed this out to me, but I wanted to share it with you. The double use of the name 
is found 15 times in the scriptures. Let me share a couple of them with you to consider what this might mean. When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, God stopped him. And he said to him, Abraham, Abraham. When Jacob was faced with going down to Egypt, remember he was fearful to do so. He didn't really know what was going on, didn't understand. Yeah, he's heard Joseph's down there, but can this really be true? And famine up here, there's food down there. What do I do? And God comes to him and says, Jacob, Jacob, go, and I will be with you, and I will go with you, and I will make a great nation of you. When Moses was confronted at the burning bush, God called out of the bush, Moses, Moses, in the New Testament, When Jesus confronted Martha, when she was so confounded by Mary's uh, inactivity, Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha. When Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And of course, when Jesus was in his final hours on the cross, he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the double use of the word Lord, Lord is indicative of someone who is claiming intimate knowledge, someone who is speaking intently, meaningfully. These are people, we're told, who have prophesied in Jesus' name, done mighty acts in Jesus' name, cast out demons in Jesus' name. He's not addressing pagans here. Jesus is speaking to the visible church. All of those who would say they are Christians. These are people who call themselves Christians. These are people who are active in the life of the church. These are people who are busy, maybe even have done remarkable things. Yet what distinguishes them from those who truly belong to Christ is that they do not believe. And the evidence of that unbelief is their lives, the fruit, their actions. They have heard his words and they have not obeyed. They have convinced themselves that they love him, but their lives demonstrate that they do not. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is not sufficient to simply say, Lord, Lord, but rather Jesus says, we must do the will of my father who is in heaven. By saying this, the will of my Father who is in heaven, Jesus is indicating his deity. It's the first time he uses the phrase my Father as opposed to the Father or our Father, previously in Matthew's Gospel. He is indicating here something different, his relationship to the Father, my Father. Jesus, who is God, who came as a man, came to do the will of the Father. And he calls all who would hear him to do the same. In verse 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And here, of course, he is speaking of the great day, the final day of judgment. All people will stand before him as their judge on that day. And the test will not, will be not what we have said, but rather what we have done in obedience and faith. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. On the contrary, he is showing rather that true faith bears fruit. He's explained this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen this. True faith bears fruit. 
our lives must demonstrate what we say we believe. And in fact, he's made clear throughout the sermon, our lives do demonstrate what we believe. That's why Jesus can say, I never knew you. It's because people, although they call him Lord, their lives demonstrate they don't believe. Think back to the Beatitudes from the beginning of the sermon. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. Blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are those who show mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Beatitudes are not what save us. They are the fruit that we have truly trusted in Christ. James writes, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so for those who have merely given lip service to Jesus, even those who have accomplished great things in his name, yet they have never embraced him in their hearts by faith, he will confess these horrifying words, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In our own day, we witness people who call themselves Christian, yet dispute the word of God. They do this in word and deed. They call evil good and call good evil. They place emotion over fact. They regard their own preferences over the will of the Father. They pick and choose scripture to fit their design and ignore any passages that would confront their sin. By denying the truth in their unrighteousness, they prove that although they may say, Lord, Lord, they never really knew Christ, or more accurately, we might say, Christ never really knew them. And no amount of sentimentality will overcome their lack of faith. Remember what Jeremiah said about the false prophets They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. The world, although it's changed in many ways since Jeremiah's day, it really hasn't changed very much at all. This is the same message is going out today. These are ones who practice their own law. They've come up with their own law. That's why Jesus rightly says, you workers of lawlessness. And then beginning in verse 24, he illustrates it. He brings a metaphor in to communicate the same thing, this metaphor of the two builders. And the contrast is the same. It's between hearing and hearing and those who obey. For the one who hears and obeys, he's like a wise builder who constructs his house on the rock. The notion here of being wise, you know, wisdom is one of those things that you you know it when you see it. You smell it when it's cooking. It's hard sometimes to define, but you recognize it. You see, wisdom isn't simply knowing the truth or knowing what's right. It's both knowing the truth and knowing how to apply the truth. It's knowing how to put the pieces of the puzzle together in the way that they fit. As we've seen, it is possible to know the truth and not live according to it. The scribes and the Pharisees were infamous for this very thing. They were hypocrites. They were experts in the law of God. They knew the law of God, but they ignored the fundamental foundation of love, that they were called to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors, their self. And instead, they used the law of God as a weapon 
to promote their own righteousness and to oppress the powerless. We're guilty of the same thing when we fail to love as we have been loved. When we respond with anger or selfishness, we act similarly. When we seek our own gain and ignore the needs of others, we're likewise guilty. When we stir up strife, when we gossip, when we lie, lust, envy, even though we may know the word of God inside and out, we fail in keeping it. You see, to be a wise builder is not to be perfect. To be a wise builder is to be a repenter. See, building on the rock that is our faith in Christ, the faith once for all revealed through the prophets and the apostles, means that we not only trust Christ for the forgiveness of our sins at the moment of salvation, but that we continue to trust Christ, that we come back to him again and again, confessing and repenting, falling back on him. On the foundation of our faith, he says, we will stand. We will stand not only in the face of temptation, we will stand in the face of suffering. When the winds and the rain of great difficulties come in our life, we are not blown away. We call out to God, yes, in our grief, yes, in our struggle, in our anger, in our doubts. We call out to him and we cling to Christ alone. And Jesus says that when we believe and do the will of the Father, in the end, we will stand. Opposed to that, the one who hears the words of Jesus but does not obey and do the will of the Father, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And we don't have to be any kind, we don't have to have any kind of knowledge and construction to understand the, the, what's going on here every time we walk on the beach or as we sang this morning about shifting sands, you know, under our feet, which I need to note next time, that during that hymn, we need to stand. It's it's really weird to sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand when we're sitting, but I didn't catch it this week when I was going through the order of worship. But shifting sand, all other ground is shifting sand. We know that when we walk on the beach. Can you imagine building a house on the sand? We know what would come of it. And this is what those who hear the word only and do not do it, that the building of their lives will not stand when the storms come. Think again of those who call themselves Christians and deny the word of God. In our day, people are calling it deconstruction. And I wonder if this came from this parable or this metaphor. Uh, but it's the idea that, yeah, when we're not clinging to Christ, what comes when we are tempted or when we suffer or when we doubt? The, the outcome is it crumbles. The house falls. Think of really no clearer example in scripture possibly of one who stood in the face of suffering next to Jesus than the Job. You know, you think of the story of Job and, and his experience and how, you know, he, he, we, we, we know what happened to Job. We know the backstory. We know the rest of the story as Paul Harvey would say, but Job wasn't given that information when he was going through it. He had it all. He lost it all. And yet he did not lose his faith. In the 19th chapter of Job, he gives this long list of all his sufferings. It goes on and on and on about all the things that he has lost and that he has endured. And then he adds in the moment of his great grief and pain, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me that even in the confession, 
He acknowledges his weakness, his fainting heart, his struggle, his doubt. And yet, as a wise man who builds on the rock, Job stood. You see, we're able to stand in the end, not because of anything we've done, but solely on the gracious work of God through his redemption of our lives in Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. That's why he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Don't think that Jesus is saying here, just try harder, do better, build a better house, get knocked down, get back up again. You can do it. I believe in you. No, Jesus has finished it. He has done the work. It is all of grace. We simply cling to him. We build our house on the foundation that is him. Our foundation that is faith in him, that is, that's the foundation. That's what we come back to again and again. Jesus is, of course, the cornerstone, and some of these building metaphors do run together, and so we, 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 um, uh, kind of get them mixed up. But Jesus is identified as the cornerstone of the building. And so if we think of that, we, we acknowledge that our lives then must align with his. That was the whole purpose of the cornerstone. So as we trust him, we confess our sins. We turn from them. As we believe him, we put on Christ, conforming our lives to his will. And as we obey, he bears fruit by his indwelling spirit in us to bring forth love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is, it is all of grace that he is doing this, his great grace that he has poured out upon us. We should marvel at this, this great salvation that is ours. We haven't earned it. We didn't deserve it. But because of his great love, he has poured it out upon us. You see, the hearers of this sermon that's how they responded. They were astonished, Matthew says. Verses 28 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They were blown away. They couldn't believe what they had heard. It was beyond their comprehension. And this is before Jesus is doing miracles. They're blown away at his words. It's because Jesus is God in the flesh that his words were so powerful. For we know that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. His word was powerful. We know that his word has been promised to accomplish all of his purposes. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Because Jesus is the son of God, his word still astonishes us as we hear it, as we are convicted by it, as we are motivated to obey it, and as we are amazed at the grace within it. Because he is the son of God, his spoken word is also with authority. And that authority confronts us even to this day as well as we hear it this morning. Do we simply hear the words of Jesus and nod along and say, oh, that's nice? Or do we respond by obeying? Are we cut to the heart? Are we convicted? Are we confronted by it? Or do we just nod along? Do we, do we hear it? 
and turn away? You know, if you have never put your trust in Christ today, this is a call of salvation to trust in Christ, to turn from your own way and follow him. Romans 10, what I read earlier, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. Yes, the confession does come from the mouth, but it can't simply be a confession. Have you believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead? It's only by faith that we can be saved. No one else, no other name under heaven, even ourselves, our own good works, our own good intentions, our best efforts, none of that will save us. Only in Christ can we be saved. Trusting in Christ alone is the way to the Father. Hear his word today that you may be saved. For all who are trusting in Christ today, the call is for us to be hearers and doers. You know, it's, it's so easy, especially if you've been in church for a long time. There's very little that I say up here that you haven't heard before. Probably some of you can say, I've never heard anything that I haven't heard before. And you can nod along. But the word of God is living and active. It's powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. Its purpose is to divide, to do incision work, surgical work, deep work. Do we allow it to do that? Do we hear the word of God for that purpose? Or do we come in here with our defenses up, with our, with, with our pride kind of puffing us up? Tell me something I don't know. How do we, how do we respond to the word? Hear the word and obey the word. Consider all that Christ has spoken. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Obey the word that you might be blessed and might bring glory to his name. And rest in him that when the storms of doubt and suffering and temptation come, for they, we, we know they will, you may in the end find yourself standing. In the table of the Lord that is spread before us today, we hear and see. Taste and touch the word of Christ proclaim that in his blood and in his body shed for us, our sins are forgiven. And we come to this table at his command to remember and to believe, to proclaim and to be refreshed, to have a foretaste of what awaits us, his blood, his body for us, that we might know him truly as he knows us truly. None of us want to hear the frightful words, I never knew you, depart from me. And so in this sacrament, may we consider the claims of Christ, that the work he has accomplished on his, on, on our behalf rather, the commandments that we are exhorted to obey is all of grace. We bring nothing to the table. It's him. It's him. May we not think of just hearing but doing his word. And may this table nourish us to that end. We belong to Christ. We are in Christ if we are trusting him today. And because he has made us his own, we can now call out to the Father by his spirit who indwells us. And may we rejoice in that great salvation that is ours, taking and receiving what is before us for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, these words are in part heavy, None of us wants to hear, depart from me. It is sobering to consider that, that we could live that way. 
Lord, would you, by your Spirit's work, apply the word in such a way today that we're aware of where we stand? Would you make it clear? Would you strengthen those who trust you? Would you make feeble faith stronger? Lord, for those who are not trusting you, would you help them to see? Would you open their eyes? According to your will, would you give them life and draw them to saving faith today? Lord, our our hope to, to not simply be hearers but doers only is... It's a daily struggle. None of us are exempt from it. Believers all over the world and throughout history have struggled with this very thing. It's We live in distracted lives, busy lives, heavy lives at times. We forget your words. We forget to obey them. Our preferences, our desires, our wishes, our hearts lead the way instead of us following Christ. And so, Lord, we confess that we need to be drawn back that we might be doers of the word only, or also. Lord, we want to follow Christ in footstep. And so would you help us to that end? Fill us with your spirit today. Cause us to trust you more. Strengthen our faith that we may know we belong to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.